0: Hello everyone, my name is JT Wistersill, and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands Podcast on today's show. We're going to talk about some different quarterbacks, one who got paid and one who took a pay cut. Also, we had some trades in the NFL involving some offensive linemen, some big time ones that I think could pay off down the road. Also, tons of news with the franchise tag. We're going to talk about some of the guys who got franchise tagged and the guys who did not get franchise tagged. what that's going to mean for them going forward. Also Blake Griffin joined the Nets. We got to touch on that and every team in the Western Conference is going to break them down as well. Give my little minute thoughts on each team and of course a big takeaway at the very end. And it's going to be over NFL free agency. So I hope you will stick around till the very end to hear that. But as I mentioned, let's kick it off with the quarterbacks getting paid. And of course, we'll start with Dakota Prescott who finally got his money. Dak deserved to get paid. He finally got paid. It's been we've been talking about it at nausea for the past years. I saw it was I think it was Ryan Clark humorously tweet out about how Get Up is going to have issues finding things to talk about now because of how much airtime they filled talking about Dak Prescott, Jerry Jones, and the contract standoff those two are in. So let's dive into the deal for Prescott and what it means to the Cowboys. So Dak Prescott, the deal he agreed to it was a four-year deal worth up to $160 million. So Dak, they'd offered him a deal last year that was worth something a little bit less than that. Dak wanted $40 million per year. That's what he gets in this deal. So it's a win for Dak for now. But I don't think it will be for very long, which is why I also will say it's smart that if you look at some of the provisions in the contract, it's really only a three-year deal. Because right now, Dak Prescott, in terms of money for the next two years, I believe he is, I think he's the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL or off some weird thing. Maybe he's the highest. I don't know. It's between him and Mahomes. Either way. So right now he's second highest paid quarterback we see this every single offseason quarterbacks reset the market. So I think in three years when this deal's up, he's not going to be the highest paid QB anymore. Even a year from now, he's, there's a really good chance he's not one of the top five highest paid quarterbacks. When you factor in Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and some of the other guys, like Kyler Murray even, who will be up for those extensions. I think those their teams could be looking to cash in on that and reward those guys. And they're going to get more money than Dak Prescott because their time is up. That's how the quarterback market works. When your time is up, if you're one of those elite guys, you're going to demand and get paid and get a lot of money so right now dak won but i think in a few years he'll be looking to get out of this deal and wanting to restructure and get more money because he's going to say, "Hey, I'm one of the ten best quarterbacks. I want more money." And honestly, I agree with Dak that he is one of the best ten quarterbacks in the in the NFL when he's healthy. His last healthy season, he threw for nearly five thousand yards and thirty touchdowns. The Cowboys were eight and eight and disappointing, but Dak had the best season of his career. In fact, that was the year I actually turned around on Dak. Those first two to three years of his career, I was re- I thought he was overrated. I thought that this, this was a run first team, which they were. They were more successful that way. Dak was a solid quarterback, but more of a role player. They weren't winning. Because of him, they were winning with him more, I'd say. But then on that season, where they, were eight and eight, they were in games and even won a few games all because of Dak in that 2019 season because of his ability to press the ball downfield. I think he was a much better thrower there. They did a great job surrounding him with weapons. That's something he's going to have when he comes back as well. Love the supporting cast there. Obviously, he's one of the better running quarterbacks in the NFL. I'd love to see them continue to utilize that. He is a bigger guy in that regard, so he is able to run over guys. Juke him out a little bit too, so Dak is fun in that regard, and I do think he's continues to grow, to grow as a passer, and I think we're going to continue to see that at his, as he now enters his third off season with Kellen Mond as his OC. So they're going to continue to work together. We know Mike McCarthy's there too; another year of stability there. So I, I really do like Dak. He misses a, a few throws, turns the ball over, but I still think when he's on the money, he's one of the more accurate guys in the NFL. That ability to run, and I think he's also pretty clutch. He if there's not many guys. When I'm down and the ball and that I want leading me on that two-minute drive, Dak is one of the very few guys that I have in that group right there. So that's Dak. I think it's worth it for now, but we'll see. I do think he's a really good quarterback, and it'll be fun to turn out because I do think the Cowboys could win a Super Bowl in the next few years. They just need a few moves on their defense. Their offense, if you could just guarantee health for that offensive line and Dak, it's going to be one of the best in the NFL. So from a guy who got the bag and Dak Prescott to a guy who had to give up the bag a little bit, that's big Ben Roethlisberger who's officially back with the Steelers. He cut his salary from 19 million to 14 million and this is where the NFL gets kind of weird. Big Ben had like a $40 million cap hit. But because he took that $5 million pay cut, he freed up $15 million in extra sal- salary for the Steelers. So it was a great move for the Steelers. Ben is clearly not the quarterback he used to be. He was not I don't think he was the $20 million quarterback or worth that $40 million cap hit. And they made it clear, you're not coming back here if you don't take a pay cut. So what did Ben do? He went and took a pay cut. So good for Ben for taking a pay cut, realizing I'm not that guy anymore. Putting the team's needs before his own. There's a lot of things you can say about Big Ben, the character. There's different accusations there, I know. But we're talking about the guy. He's clear. He is a team first player and loves being a Pittsburgh Steeler. That is clear. So I think it was a good move for the Steelers. I think he was the best option for them at QB right now. I'm not a Big Ben fan anymore. I think just as the season wears on like that, I think he wears down a little bit. He doesn't have the arm he used to have. He's just fallen off. He has. I think he's still a solid quarterback. And you can still win with him. Can you win a Super Bowl with him? Personally, I don't think so. But... If that defense was able to get back to its Super Bowl form, it looked like a little earlier in the season. They didn't play their best game against the Browns, but earlier in the season, and even throughout the season in general, they were still a top five defense at worst. There were times where they were still the best defense, and other times they gave up some yards, but they could win in spite of Denton. I think Ben is a little better than Peyton Manning was his last season, and they won the Super Bowl, so we talked about how special that Steelers defense. I think it's just more pressure on that. Having Ben as the leader will continue to help. It'll just be interesting to see. they got to protect him, too, with their left tackle, Andre Villanueva, slated to hit free agency. And speaking of tackles, let's move into some tackle trades. There were some big-time names at the tackle posi- offensive tackle position on the move across the NFL – the first one we're going to start out with is Isaiah Wilson, the massive bust for the Tennessee Titans, just a tremendous, I, I don't know how this happened. They said they did a ton of work on the guy's character and obviously that just didn't pan out. They must've missed something or there was a disconnect, whatever happened inside that locker room and organization. Wilson was done, tweeted out he was done with the Titans. Titans general manager came out and said earlier that that wasn't the player we drafted, So you knew things were on shaky waters already there. So they end up having to sell low on him and traded him to the dolphins for a seventh round pick. Just a year ago, this first-round pick out of Georgia gets traded for a seventh-round pick. It's really amazing how he fell. And I think it all stems from those character and maturity concerns, other issues we may not know about, but that's what it's got to be, is character concerns, to move off a guy after a year. And it seems like there may be some immaturity, too. Who knows? It's hard to know who's at fault. I'm sure both parties are a little bit. So, first of all, I love this move for the Dolphins. You give up a seventh-round pick, which what do seventh-round picks ever pan out to be much of anything it's very rare and few and far in between so what's more likely you gotta ask that your seventh round pick in this year's draft with the COVID year you don't know thing, you couldn't get your scouts out to as many games there's a lot of up in the airs about it or a guy who just a year ago was a first round pick and if you can write those character concerns you get a first-round offensive tackle that can man down your right tackle spot for years to come. So I love it for the Dolphins. I think if there's any guy who can get Wilson right to, it is a Brian Flores. I love his leadership, the culture he's built down in Miami. He went to the same high school, actually, that Isaiah Wilson did too. So I think getting him to buy in in that regard will be really key. I think that connection will help them out. And I went back and looked at my... Wilson only played in one game for the Titans this year. So I wanted to look back at what I had written about him coming up on the draft last year to see what my thoughts were on Wilson. And I remember watching this tape. I fell in love with his power. I thought right away, he'd be a really strong run blocking guy, which is why I like the Tennessee fit open up the running lanes for Derrick Henry. I thought he needed some work in pass protection. And since he is so big, he has a little bit of a tendency to lean and get off balance. So balance is the big thing with him, but I still think they have a pretty good coach down there. The dolphins do in Flores. I think his staff is pretty good too. They have another guy who needs to continue to develop in Austin Jackson. They're first round pick out of USC just a year ago so I think it's going to be fun to watch and see how Wilson and Jackson mature together and once again I just love this move for the Dolphins I don't think the Titans had much of a choice I think they were going to cut him whenever you move a guy for a seventh round pick it's pretty clear that you were going to have to cut him if you didn't do that so I guess good for the Titans for getting something it was just clear that Isaiah Wilson in Tennessee was not going to work anymore and props to the Dolphins for capitalizing on that but Wilson was not the only big man at two plays at tackle position to get traded. Trent Brown was also traded back to the Patriots from the Raiders for a 2022 fifth-round pick. Brown is one of the 10 best right tackles to me in the NFL. He is imposingly massive. He's one of the biggest dudes in the NFL. Uh, he, he does have issues sometimes with garden guys who are a little quicker off the edge just because he is so big. But he's still a really solid left Right, ta- right tackle, and also so good when we're talking about a run defender. When he gets his hands on you, it's over. Some of those smaller guys can dip under him and get by him a little bit, but I like this move from the Patriots. I think they're building a nice offensive line. I think when you look at Isaiah Wynn, the left tackle out of Georgia a few years ago, years ago for them, he had his best season last year. When you look at Trent Brown, they their last Super Bowl they won, Brown was at left tackle. He now shifts over to right tackle, the position he played with the Raiders. And in general, Brown's played a right tackle most of his career. Yes, they let go of Joe Thune with the franchise tag. We'll get into that in a second. They chose not to franchise tag him. David Andrews at center, Shaq Mason at guard. Those are four guys assuming, I believe Andrews might be a free agent. Those are four guys right there that are all really good quality starters. They need to figure out that left guard spot, but with the Patriots' QB position up in the limbo, it helps to have a strong offensive line, especially when you don't have stellar running back. James White, Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead, all role running backs who just do their job very well. They're nothing special, so I think this was a good move for the Patriots. It's a strong offensive line. They gave up almost nothing with a fifth-round pick. The Raiders, the reason they did this, I think, there may be some character concerns there, but honestly, I think the biggest thing was cap situation. The Raiders were well over the cap. That's why we've seen them move off of Richie Incognito. they both guards, Incognito and Gabe Jackson, and now Brown follows as well. So the Raiders' offensive line is... Not where it used to be. Got to continue to hope Colton Miller continues to develop. He took steps last year. And obviously, they still have one of the best centers in the NFL in Rodney Hudson. But those other positions, they're going to need some help. They go from having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL to have a couple of really good starters and a lot of holes to fill as they try to get under the cap. But either way, I like the move for the Patriots a lot. One last thing we got to get into before the franchise tag. It's not trade related. It's a signing. The Bucks the made made it, made a great decision to sign Levante David to a two-year contract extension worth over $25 million. I think it's a great move by the Bucks. We saw the unbelievable job, David. He's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. He's the, really the only guy we saw really shut down and give Travis Kelsey a lot of trouble this year, as he did in the Super Bowl. He's the leader of this team. He's been there forever. He's a surefire tackler. He's a phenomenal leader. And I just highlighted how good he is in coverage. So I think it was great that they could retain him. Him and Devin White are the best linebackers. tandem in the NFL it makes things interesting they had a big three the Buccaneers Levante David Shaq Barrett and Chris Godwin and it's going to be and the first move of that was signing Levante David I believe or there was another move but it's interesting how it affects the third guy Shaq Barrett who we're going to get into in just a second but either way love the move bringing back the veteran Levante David he is such a big time player and it was a nice job by them getting it done and not letting one of their leaders get out the door. So let's shift into those franchise tag players. These are players who were given the franchise tag, so they play on a one-year deal versus whatever the number is for their position. And it's a pretty – it's a decent price tag, like a guy like – let's start out with uh, Broncos safety Justin Simmons. Simmons is one of the best safeties in the NFL. $11 million for his talent is a bargain, but they could not afford to let Simmons out the door. He's one of the best overall safeties in the NFL, what he does in coverage against the run, top to bottom, complete safety, a guy that every team would have thrown a lot of money at. And it'll be interesting to see if they can work out a deal that makes him the highest-paid safety in the NFL – Because as I talked about earlier with Dak Prescott, when your time's up and you're at the top of your position like that, you deserve to get highest pay. So Justin Simmons, I hope he gets his money. He well deserves it. The Jets signed Marcus May. Marcus May is their free safety. He was the guy who for a while, him and Jamal Adams were a great tandem, but May is a really good safety and coverage will provide some leadership for such a young team. The Washington football team reached on Brandon Sheriff. Sheriff makes the bag, man. He gets $18 million per year. I really like what Sheriff provides. He is one of the best guards in the league, a run grader, doesn't give up any sacks, just a complete offensive lineman and one that every team wishes they could have. And now he stays in Washington to help lead that offense. For the Buccaneers, they franchise-tagged Chris Godwin. The other guy we talked about signed Levante David. They franchise-tagged Chris Godwin. Godwin, Still one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think I would believe he's a top five, number two receiver. He's definitely one of the 15 to 20 best receivers in the NFL. That's where I would personally have Godwin, but he's got phenomenal hands and a pretty good route runner. And as a number two receiver, he's just going to continue to dominate. So props to them for getting that done. One of the more surprise ones was the Jaguars franchise tagging Cam Robinson, their left tackle. They drafted a few years ago out of Alabama. He's been a little bit of a disappointment, but I thought he was pretty good overall last year. Coming in, going into his fifth season there, that was his most complete season. It might be, his, it could have been his fourth as well. But either way, encouraged. By the signs that Robinson showed, and I do like the move for them. Maybe they even want to kick him to guard. I think he could be a pro bowl guard, but instead, he might continue to be a solid left tackle. And now, let's move on to the Giants, where defensive lineman Leonard Williams was signed. Williams was huge for this team, especially because they were very light on edge defenders, so a lot of times, Williams' versatility. Paid up big. He did not work with the other team in New York, the Jets, but he really excelled in his role with the Giants, especially this last year. Got after the quarterback, stopped the run, gobbled up double teams. He is key to this massive defensive line that the Giants have. I really like Leonard Williams, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get a long-term deal done because I think Williams deserves it. He is a phenomenal player. Also, moving on to the next guy. The Bears, What Allen Robinson of the Bears, he was franchise-tagged. Robinson is one of the best receivers in the NFL. He, for me, is for sure a top 15 guy. He's just been someone who's been stuck with crappy quarterback play, unfortunately, whether that be Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky. This guy has never played with great quarterback talent, so sometimes we miss what he, he can truly be, but he's such an exceptional route runner, another guy with really good hands, too. I would love to see him with an elite quarterback, and it'll be interesting to see if the Bears sign him long-term or they trade, they tag and trade him. That's another option for Robinson. It's hard to tell if he's really happy over there or not. Now, shifting on to our next guy, we got Panthers offensive tackle, Taylor Moulton, got franchise tagged. He is their right tackle, and he's one of the better up-and-coming tackles in the NFL, so he's been developing the past few years. Good job by them for getting some stability in there along that offensive line, since it's looking like they're going to be drafting their quarterback of the future. And the last guy who was franchise tagged was, of course, Marcus Williams, the former Ute safety for the Saints. He was He's one of the more underrated guys of that 2017 draft class that brought them Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick. Williams is kind of the fourth unsung hero of that group. And I think it was a good decision by them to franchise Marcus Williams because we know they're going to be having to dish out a lot of money into Ramchick and Lattimore, who are both some of the better guys at their position. And Williams is a quality safety. Uh, Everyone will talk about that one year he he missed the tackle, was a bad move on Stephon Diggs, but still a phenomenal player. And I'm really excited to see how he continues to grow with the Saints where he's had a lot of success. So moving on, surprise players who were not franchise tagged and are now free agents. Shaq Barrett, going to be really interesting to see where he goes. He's obviously a big time pressure, paid off big in the Super Bowl. A guy like Kenny Galladay is another one of those great receivers. Fun to see with him. Bud Dupree, Carl Lawson, really quality pass rushers who now hit the open market. It'll be fun to watch and see how everything unfolds with them. Joe Thune was the guard I talked about earlier. A lot of teams need offensive line help with how good the defensive lines are. I expect Thune to get some big money. John Johnson, one of the unsung heroes at safety for that Rams defense. I think he's another guy who should be able to get the bag because he is an exceptional player too. Keanu Neal, I think that's a low, he's a safety for the Falcons. They let him go. He's just a guy who's always been hurt. But when healthy, he's a phenomenal player. So I think a team buys low on him, and it pays off well. Speaking of buying low, whoever buys low on Chris Carson, because the Seahawks are not going to franchise tag him, is going to get a big-time player. Chris Carson has been one of those borderline top 10 running backs to me. He catches the ball pretty well out of the backfield, and he just runs so hard. I really like his physical style of play. Now, Moving on to our last two guys, Hunter Henry of the Chargers. He's a phenomenal tight end who catches passes over the middle. I think he does a phenomenal job there. Like the safety blanket he was for Herbert. I think he's one that they're going to get. a. He's going to end up coming back to the Chargers. Who doesn't want to live in LA, right? And the last franchise guy who was not franchise tagged is Aaron Jones, a Packers running back who has had a top five, top five running back season these last two years. He's excelled running behind that Packers offensive line. I'm not as high in Jones as some of the other people. I think he is one of those guys who's probably a top 10 running back, but I don't think he's top five. His production says top five. I just personally don't think he's a top five back. But because of those surrounding and supporting casts, I think he's in a great situation. But a team is gonna still get a really good running back in Aaron Jones. And I'm excited to see how the rest of his career unfolds. So that's going to do it for the whole franchise tag thing. It'll be fun to see where those free agents I just listed lined up and to see if those other teams, they can get a deal with, done with those guys. But for now, let's move off the NFL. It's coming back up on my big takeaway, but let's shift in on the NBA. And we got we got a big signing. Blake Griffin was bought out by the Pistons, gave up $13 million, was desperate to get out of their losing culture, wanted to compete, and win a ring. And where do buyout candidates go right now? But of course, Brooklyn. He will join the Nets, and I am excited to see what he will bring. I think the most important thing... He He's gonna be able to bring is his passing. Especially out of the pick and roll. We've seen that so many times with the screen action they run with Bruce Brown. His ability to kick get the ball after Harden will dish it to him and his ability to either finish at the rim, not dunking it, But just finish at the rim in general, or more importantly, kick it out to those guys on the perimeter, I think is going to be key. That's the biggest thing Griffin brings to me, is that passing ability. They can throw it to him on the block too, and run some action around him, similar to how the Lakers use Marcus. All Griffin has evolved his game and become a high IQ player. In 2019, he was an all-star, and he did a good job of changing his style, becoming more of that facilitator. He was a better shooter then. He shot 36% from three on a whopping 7% for a guy for his career. We've always just called a dunker. So I give Griffin credit there for continuing to evolve and change his game. And I think that's going to be... I think he's going to shoot the best three-point percentage he's ever shot in his career in Brooklyn because of the quality of looks he's gotten. He has never played... Since he became a good shooter, I want to make that important because obviously Chris Paul was a great passer. But when he was with the Clippers, he wasn't that good of a three-point shooter. He hasn't played... At this point in his career with his shooting ability, he hasn't played with guards because the Pistons didn't have the kind of guards that James Harden and Kyrie Irving are. I think especially Harden will be able to kick him kick him out to those open threes. He's gonna get phenomenal looks and I expect him to shoot a career best percentage from three. And I think that'll be a big part for them. So there's one other key part of Griffin is the rebounding to me. Whenever they go... they you, This is their biggest guy who will be able to stretch the floor for them. Yes, they can throw on DeAndre Jordan to grab rebounds, but then he can't spread the floor and hit the threes. That's what Griffin's going to be able to provide. Size to box out, grab you those boards. He can also push the pace a little bit because of that handle we talked about and the ability to playmake for the other guys. And he'll also be able to step out and hit those threes. As a, as a center for them because I think that's the position he's going to play now so I think this is a great signing I expect Griffin to start and play major minutes for this next teams he's going to be able to change his game similarly how that he did with the Pistons and Keely his playmaking his improved shooting and rebounding are going to be key for this smaller Nets team I think those are the big things to look at when we're talking about Blake Griffin to the Nets now let's shift over to something else. We did this last week with the Eastern Conference. We're going to do state of every team in the Western Conference. Going to give you 30 seconds to a minute on my thoughts on how every team in the Western Conference has done so far. And at the bottom of the barrel, number 15, we start with my Minnesota Timberwolves. For them, Carlton Towns, D'Angelo Russell have barely played together this year. Five games in total in the year those two have been together is very disappointing. They really struggle on defense, especially in transition defense. Cat's fun when he's healthy, but hasn't been healthy. Anthony Edwards shows flashes, but you'd love to see him be a little more efficient. The only silver lining for the Timberwolves in this situation. If they are have the worst record, they need to have a top three pick this year, or else it goes to the Warriors. It was a top three protected pick in the D'Angelo Russell trade, so they better hope they continue to lose, because we know this team could continue to use and add more talent. Malik Beasley's also been from, from a shooting standpoint, but we know he's got a lot of issues. So Timberwolves have been interesting and will be really interesting come draft time. For the Rockets... I mean, I think they won five games after James Harden was traded, and then ever since then it's gone to the tank, lost 13 or 14 in a row. Christian Wood's been hurt. He's been awesome this year. I would pick him for most improved player, but he needs to get back and start playing in some games if he wants to catch a guy like Jeremy Grant. So the Rockets, they should have a fire shale. They should be trading away guys like Victor Oladipo. You can't really trade John Wall, but I still think John Wall has had a solid year. The rest of this roster is just not very good. At number 13 in the West, we have the Sacramento Kings. A disappointing 13, although they are only a few games back from the Pelicans, who are the 11th seed. So right there, kind of battling for that... uh play-in game. Actually, the Grizzlies are at 10. That would be the other team for the play-in game, but only two games back from them. Darren Fox has had the best year of his career. He's been fun to watch. Tyrese Halliburton's been fun. Bagley has a couple of games still where you're like, maybe there's still hope there. I think Harrison Barnes and some of these other veterans, they got Bielitsa. I think those guys should be good trade candidates for them, especially a Buddy Heald, who just feels like he hasn't been happy in Sacramento a few years now. The shock of the Western Conference, honestly, I mean, I guess you could say the Jazz at number one would be, but I know a lot of people still knew they'd be a playoff team. For me, the Thunder winning 15 games through the All-Star break is unbelievable. I, I've been so impressed by the Thunder. Shea continues to evolve. Lou Dortz does a great job. The culture they've built down there is phenomenal, so give Sam Presti a lot of credit. This Thunder team, they play so hard night in, night out. Al Horford has also had a better season, shifting to his natural position of center versus the minutes he spent at power forward last year with the Sixers were painful, so a lot of credit to this Thunder team, especially a guy like Shea. He is a phenomenal player. At number 11, we have the Pelicans. They are 15-21, and 21, but, but they were worse than that for a while. They've Started to figure things out. Zion has had an unbelievable season, we know. Brandon Ingram's been kind of the same guy. Still pretty consistent with who he is. They're, the guys are beginning to buy into the system. Lonzo Ball's been better. Be interesting to see if J.J. Redick's on this team. But with Zion continuing to develop, it's just the unstoppable force he is. I'm excited to see what this team can do. Especially if they crack the playing tournament. I think they could be fun. At 500 and number 10, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 16-16 and 16 on the season. John Morant missed some time, but we've seen the role players of this team step up. The job that Taylor Jenkins, their head coach, has done has been phenomenal just these last two years, building that culture, the same with their GM. They've just done a phenomenal job up there in Memphis. If they could get Jaron Jackson back, I'd feel even better about their chances, to, if they are in this play-in tournament, to win that, but at the moment, you got to give so much credit to these players and the job they've done. Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen, the Anthony Milton, so many guys so impressed by the Grizzlies, and John Moran is one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA, in my opinion. At number nine, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, at number nine, we have the Warriors, sorry, The Warriors, Steph Curry, has been the catalyst all year, averaging 30 points per game, really trying to carry these guys once again. Been so impressed by Curry. Guys like Oubre and Wiggins have been inconsistent. Of course, Draymond's missed some time. Wiseman hasn't panned out, so the only team this position this team is even one game over 500 is really because of Steph Curry, and they need their depth to continue to play a little bit better, and Wiseman continuing to develop as the season goes on would also be huge. And now we get into that top eight, the playoff group. So at number eight, we have the Dallas Mavericks, who started out the season all right, but it's like, ah, once Kristaps gets back, everything's going to be great. Well, Kristaps came back, and everything hasn't been great. Kristaps has struggled, especially, I mean, it's just tough when you have a guy that big who... People are going to guard with such small guys and Kristaps doesn't want to post them up. I don't think that's a great idea personally, but it's what they've continued to do. Luka's been phenomenal, of course. It's the reason they are over 500. And even though some of their guys aren't the most consistent... Every There will be a night every other night with Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, Josh Richardson, some combination of those guys is going to be effective, and I still think this is a team you don't want to see in the playoffs because of Luka Magic. At number seven, one of the other surprises of the West, you have the San Antonio Spurs. Popovich and their staff staffers continued to do it, but credit to DeJounte Murray has been really good this year. DeMar DeRozan continues to play exceptionally well. Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, these are all guys who have stepped up big time. The Spurs are always competitive, and the job they've done developing their guys so far is really impressive because this is a deep, scary team, especially at the guard position. They could use a little bit more front court depth, but at the guard spots, I really like them. Had a disappointing number six in the West. You have the Denver Nuggets. They are 21 and 15, but it's been rough this year. They've had to rely on some of their young guys, as we've seen guys like Zeke Naj, RJ Hampton have to play a little more for them because of injuries and just a lack of depth in this team in general. Jamal Murray hasn't been great. Gary Harris has missed time. Will Barton hasn't been great either. Jokic has been phenomenal having a career best season. I saw someone make a case for him as the most improved player. I think that's a little bit far, but I do think Jokic is a phenomenal player and one of the seven to eight best players in the NBA. He's just so much fun to watch. At number five, we have the Blazers. Damian Lillard, the job he's done since C.J. McCollum got hurt earlier this season. Once again, without Nurkic, too, he's done such a good job. Gary Trent has continued to develop. And Melo had a hot stretch, too, in February where he had some big-time games to help this team crawl up to 5-2. But the main catalyst has, of course, been Dame. It's been fun watching Kerry, one of the most clutch players in the NBA. I believe he's shooting something like 60% in the clutch. So when the ball is his hands, you know it's going to be fun to watch. At number four in the West, we do have the Clippers. They've slipped a little bit, but they've still, they've looked really good this year. It's the same thing. We just got to wait till the postseason with them. Kawhi PG, they're working out the kinks. I do like the way Serge fits with their team and his ability to space the floor a little bit. A guy like Luke Kennard is also fun, and it'll be interesting to see how he factors into things when we're talking about later in the season and the minutes he's going to receive as a sniper off the bench, and he may even start. So the Clippers, I've been impressed by them, but we all know when it matters most. At number three, we have the Lakers. They were... The second seed, but since losing Anthony Davis, they went on a little bit of a losing stretch. LeBron has looked really good this season, barely resting except for the final game before the All-Star break and pretty much the All-Star game himself since he really only played in a quarter, as we know. So I, I think the Lakers are fine. Maybe could use a buyout candidate or two, but I think that's going to come. They also, during that losing streak, they didn't have Schroeder for a lot of it. So when you're missing your second and third best player, I think that's rough. Been encouraging to see Kyle Kuzma step up some of those games too. He's continued to look a little better this year. At number two in the West, we have the Suns. They are 24-11 and 11 currently. This is a team I was pretty high on. I thought they could be a top four seed coming into the season. And they've been everything as advertised. They're super deep. Chris Paul's leadership Booker hasn't been great, but he's still been really good, especially in February, winning Player of the Month in February. Even DeAndre Ayton has been really good. This is a fun team. Monty Williams has done a great job, and they're deep, so they're scary. And I've, I've just been really impressed by the Suns this year. So I got the Suns being good, right? I did not get the Jazz being this good, right? I thought the Jazz were not going to be a top-four seed. I thought they were going to slip out. I underrated the value of continuity in the NBA. Even the guy they bring in, the big free agent, Derek Favors, has been there. So so impressed with Utah. Mike Conley, the job he's done running the point for them. Don Mitchell stepping up, having some big games. Their shooting has been unbelievable. And of course, Gobert is the defensive player of the year. So impressed by this Jazz team. And I think they really, if they can hold on to that one seed, they can get into the conference finals. And that will give them a chance, at least, hosting that extra home game, an opportunity to beat the Lakers or the Clippers. They just got to hope that home court advantage, whatever it is with COVID, is going to be enough for them to squeeze out a victory. But that's going to do it for talking about the Western Conference teams. That is the state of every team we basically just hit on in these past two weeks. So it'll be fun to see how the last little bit of the NBA shakes out. The last thing I'll touch on of the NBA is just All-Star Weekend. The Skills Challenge was a dud. Three-point contest was awesome. Great to see Steph Curry get out there and light it up. You just watch him and you go, that guy's different than everyone else. He's the best shooter who ever lived, and it's fun to see him win on a buzzer-beating three. I enjoyed the dunk contest personally. I kind of thought Obi Toppin should have won. I'm not going to lie. Cassius Stanley definitely got robbed on his first dunk by Josh Smith. but I thought the dunk contest was fun this year, but I definitely missed having that fourth guy, and I wish it wouldn't have been at halftime. I wish something like the Skills Challenge would have been at halftime. Just something more people don't care about as much, especially when guys like Luca run out in the skills challenge and clearly don't try. Happy for bonus though. At least he gave us all-in-one. And then the All-Star game. Um, it is what it is. I, I did enjoy watching it from the standpoint of, like, Oh, just watching Dame, Dame, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Chris Paul all dunk. Dame and Curry were hitting from insane range. Giannis shooting perfect from the field. There were some fun storylines. It's never going to be the most competitive game, but I still think it was enjoyable overall. I was still a pretty fun athlete, so I give the NBA credit for putting it on, and it's awesome the amount of money they were raised able to raise for those HBCUs too. So that's going to do it for the NBA, but now it's time for my big takeaway. And my big takeaway is going to be over... NFL teams have to be careful with their money, especially in this current free agent climate we're going to be in So why do I say that? First of all, the cap number was officially announced. I talked about that a lot last week, but it's going to be an official drop. So the 2020, the 2019, sorry, the 2020 cap was 198 million. This year, it's only 182 million. So we've already seen cuts all around the league. Guys like Kyle Van Noy after just a year, Malcolm Butler, despite being still a pretty solid corner, just got cut after two years. Teams are desperately trying to crawl and get under this cap. So we see this every free agent. Guys think, oh, this is the guy I want, and then they overpay for him. Remember Tremaine Johnson with the Jets a few years ago? Coming off his huge season with the Rams, they gave him a monster contract, and that did not pan out well at all. So got, just teams really got to be careful with their money and free agency. Another example I can highlight is, how about the Raiders' 2019 free agent class they took in? So, Antonio Brown, they traded for He didn't even make it through training camp. Tyrell Williams, four-year, $44 million deal. He got cut after two seasons. LaMarcus Joyner, four-year, $42 million deal. He got cut after two years, and he never even had an interception. And then we highlighted earlier, Trent Brown was the other guy they signed in free agency. They just traded him back to the Patriots. Those were the biggest hauls of their free agent class that year, and almost every single one of them. And all of those guys are gone, and then a few like a few of the lesser guys are there. But still, these are the guys they were jumping up and down about, yes, we got our guy. But you got to be careful about overpaying for these guys. I think so many teams do that because they want to get him in the building. And then it's like, oh, we got to cut them because we pay too much. So... That's just something NFL teams really got to be careful of in a tight cap this year is not overpaying for guys and really evaluating where these players are at in their career and really see if they're worth the money or else you're going to end up cutting these guys and then you're going to have to owe them money anyways just because that dead money always exists when you sign these guys to the long-term deal. So free agency does start next week. I highlighted earlier some of those big names off the franch- who did not get franchise tagged who is going to be available. So it's going to be interesting to see. Inevitably, some NFL teams are going to overpay. It always happens, and it's going to be really interesting to see and watch how it unfolds. In fact, that's what I'm going to be back doing next week is previewing free agency. That'll be the main thing talking about the biggest names, where I think those guys are going to sign, what they're going to add to their new team. So that'll be fun to look at. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much as always for listening, and I look forward to chatting it up with you guys next week. Signing off.